My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people make friends. Hey, I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When things get biblical, well, you got to get careful. That includes today's seemingly sedate session where the Dow ultimately gained 36 points, S&P advanced 0.10%, NASDAQ dipped 0.02%. What do I mean by biblical? Right now, we're hearing a lot about David versus Goliath, how newer investors have taken on the hedge fund behemoths, armed with commission-free trading and more knowledge than ever. The people, united, will never be defeated. I recognize the appeal of that story, but this is not a morality play, people, and you're not sticking it to the man when you buy GameStop or AMC Entertainment. There's only one good reason to own stocks, and that, of course, is to make money. That's the whole ballgame. It's what I try to help you do every night here. We are at a critical point in this market, a point where the cheapest stocks are often the best, and the most expensive stocks are often the worst. United Parcel, Abvi, Alphabet all sell at ridiculously low price-to-earnings multiples. Meanwhile, GameStop's in the 90s, even though the stock peaked in the 50s seven years ago when it had a much better business. Sorry. But I want to address the retail revolution. That's what's important to me. I want to put it in context. Because sometimes revolutions fall apart. Sometimes you get a two-day hunter. Then things go back to normal. Other times, maybe they take the radio station before the tanks roll in. We've already had one revolution. The Robin Hood revolution. That used a terrific app and commission-free trading to attract 17 million investors. Most of whom are new to the game. Even if they don't stick with Robinhood in particular, they love stocks and they're learning how to be better investors. And you know what? I think that's terrific. But now we're looking at a different kind of revolution with these, theme, you know, these what theme memes that are, you know, I know I have a meme for myself, Lee. I know what a meme is, meme stocks. And I think that th- that demands really a certain level of caution. So you know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to give you my rules for revolutionaries. That way you can decide if you really want to be one. First, rule one. If you're a stock market revolutionary, your goal is to augment your capital with stocks of companies that deserve to go up higher over time. Something I delved in really deeply this morning on my pretty unplugged, some say, monthly call for ActionAlertsPlus.com members. Rule two. Your goal is not to demolish the czars, the bourgeoisie, the fat cats, or the kulaks. Uh, what, what the heck does that get you? There's no slingshot like David and Goliath. There, there, there's a button you push to buy or sell stocks. You don't have a, a, a crush the hedge funds button, even if you coordinate it with millions of your buddies on Reddit to buy at the same time. So put down the slingshot and pick up the annual reports, the quarterly reports, the conference call transcripts. Rule three. Stocks do lots of crazy things, not because the market's rigged, but because the market's driven by humans, and humans are emotional creatures. If you know how to read those emotions, well, then you can find opportunities. Walmart gets hammered because America might be reopening. Opportunity. Chipotle gets slammed, even though its January numbers were extraordinary. Opportunity. Costco sinks because people are worried about the next number, even though it got a great long-term story. Oh, and by the way, I like Costco's monthly numbers very much tonight. Opportunity. Bye, bye, bye. 
Let the craziness work for you, not against you. Rule number four for revolutionaries. The government is not riding to the rescue. Janet Yellen, our new Treasury Secretary, met with a bunch of very important people to talk about what's happening in the markets today. But Yellen has bigger fish to fry. I mean, let's, let's see, there's like a pandemic, uh, mass unemployment. She's got to push through the stimulus package from Congress. Making new rules to smooth out the market, not a priority. Remember what I told you last night? The stock market is a caveat emptor institution. The government's not going to give you a warranty, people. These are not vacuum cleaners. You can't get your money back if you lost it, even when the action was insane. Sure, Yellen should look into last week's trading restrictions, of course. She should investigate whether commission-free means best price for you. I'd like to know that. You know, we don't. But revolutions don't run on pennies. They run on knowledge. And Yellen can't make us smarter, even if she's Pretty darn smart herself. Rule number five, revolutions are dangerous, which is why you need to protect yourself. You don't want to get purged. The best way to protect your portfolio, don't borrow money to buy stocks. Just don't do it. Margin magnifies your losses, meaning you're going to hit yourself with the slingshot. I've been in the game for about 40 years now. And almost every single systemic problem, those are the ones we can't mess around with, in the market starts with too much debt. I know how hard this was. Hey, you know, when I was busy, I was in the hospital last week, when I was busy getting a Foley catheter, uh, Google that, stuck into me last week, I was begging for morphine. Not my finest moment. Margin is morphine. It's very hard to kick, and it messes with your judgment. Do you really want to be trading stocks when your judgment's impaired? Recipe for disaster. Rule six, revolutionaries can get carried away easily, especially when they're following a leader, leader they don't know. They feel like there's more to it than just buying and selling stocks. They want to be encouraged by others who've done the homework. Trust me, these people don't care about you. They just need you to keep the balls in the air so they can make more money. So I need you to keep a sound head. Today, you should be pondering if Amazon is worth more or less with Jeff Bezos as executive chairman rather than CEO. Is this like when Tim Cook took over at Apple, something that really scared people, even though it turned out to be one of the greatest buying opportunities of all time? I think so. You should have been thinking about how Alphabet has transformed itself into a company where the focus is on YouTube profits and Google Cloud growth. These big tech outfits give you a fire hose of information when they report, and that information does make you a better investor. Remember, that's our goal. Finally, rule number seven. Remember that there's more to this revolution than the nihilists who say it's all fake or the keyboard class warriors who want to storm the winter fat cat hedge fund palace. I'm talking about the part of the revolution that may have brought you here. The original goal, trying to make money in the stock market. You do that by finding companies that are in good shape and poised to do even better in the future. And look, you want a cause beyond making money? Amazon and Microsoft are determined to save the environment. Lowe's and Constellation Brands and so many others are committed to racial equality. How about companies that educate their employees? That's Starbucks or Raytheon. Maybe you want a company that just pays its people well and treats them with respect. I've studied this. It's Costco. If you believe business can make the world a better place, You can absolutely manage your money in a way that rewards the best corporate citizens. We never used to take this stuff seriously. I came from the age where you put your morality to the side when picking stocks, unless it was something really egregious. And if you wanted to make a difference, well, you just donated the profits to charity. 
These days, though, companies have to embrace these environmental, social, and corporate governance causes if they're going to recruit the talent that they need to compete against the likes of a Salesforce or an Alphabet or an Apple. You want to make a difference with your stock picking? Well, that's how you do it. The bottom line, if you're part of this new cadre of investors, I am begging you to follow my seven new rules. Who knows? Maybe you'll end up hated by your fellow revolutionized from revolutionaries for making so much money. Maybe that they will be angry at you because you did well. You know what I call that? A very high quality problem. We're taking questions. We're going to Eli in Florida. Eli. Hi, Jim. Eli has a question for you. Of course. Yeah, I have a question about Unity. Unity had its IPO in September 2020 at $75 per share. It had a big run-up after that, and it's now at its all-time high. It hit its all-time high in December 2020, but it's come down some. The company currently loses money, so people have different repoints on the stock. Do you see room for growth? And if so, how do you trade it? Also, Unity will report earnings soon. What do you think the earnings will show, and how will they impact the stock? Well, Eli, first of all, that kid's got, that kid's got horse sense. Uh, we probably do want to see what the quarter's going to be because uh, they report uh, tomorrow. I don't like to make bets ahead of a quarter. I do like Unity Software very, very much. I think it is a terrific company. I saw, by the way, you know, the EA was down today. Well, look at a good quarter. So I'm a little bit more gun-shy than I should be. But I've liked you since it came public, and I like you, Eli. We're going to Byron in my home state of New Jersey. Byron. My man, Mr. Kramer, thanks for taking my call. I of course, thank you for the call. What's and, going on? And I'd appreciate your input. Uh, so a little over a week ago, you put together a 5G ETF, and uh, but I felt like a pure infrastructure network equipment play wasn't on it. Now, with Huawei banned in much of the world, that makes this a short list, maybe even a duopoly. At the same time, my pick was part of last week's Reddit trade. So my question, with its pretty fair valuation compared to Ericsson and its recent upgrade, is Nokia a buy and one of the few, if not the only, Reddit trades with some real legs? Well, I'll tell you, look, it's really Samsung that's doing well, not Nokia. Nokia is a river in Finland. It probably is terrific. To, I don't know. Maybe you can skate on the darn thing. But no, we're not buyers of Nokia because they're just frankly not good enough. They don't deserve your money. Maybe you can go higher, but they're just not good enough. But thank you for the call. Now, we're seeing a revolution, people. And now you have the rules for revolutionaries. Remember, making money is the only reason to own stocks. On Man Money Tonight, Hologic is aiming for the clouds for its new partnership for Google Cloud, to be exact. I'm going to sit down with the CEO to talk about its newest collaboration and the company's latest earnings. Then, is Elf a true beauty after earnings, or could it uh, maybe need a touch-up? I'm going to talk to the CEO, fresh off its report. And we just have one of the best quarters so far, and the CEO joins me tonight. You do not want to miss my sit-down with the CEO of Skyworks Solutions, SWKS. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to com. There's this urge to divide the whole market right now into pandemic stocks and reopening stocks. 
But like I told you last night, uh, what you really want are self-improvement stories. Take Hologics. That's the maker of high-end diagnostics equipment, imaging systems, and surgical products. By the way, mostly for women's health. They have a gigantic COVID uh, testing kicker. Last week, these guys reported yet another blowout quarter. It's become the way they do things. Diagnostic sales up 262% year over year. Yes, because of the outbreak. More importantly, though, Hologic's prepared for the future. Management gave terrific guidance for the current quarter. And then on the conference call, they laid out all the reasons to like the business once we beat the virus. They predict a new, higher baseline for diagnostic testing. And they've also made some major investments in their breast and surgical divisions that are so important. Important to us. The stock's now run up nearly 10 bucks in the week since the quarter, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's got much more room to run. So let's take a closer look with Steve McMillan. He's the chairman and CEO of Hologic to learn more about the quarter and where the company is headed. Mr. McMillan, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thanks for having us back. Great to sort of see you. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, we, we do our best. Steve, there's an amazing slide. Uh, where I think people who have been dealing with COVID know this more than ever. They hear rapid antigen, and this is all in your deck, fast but inaccurate. They hear traditional PCR, accurate but slow. Is the reason why your company's doing so great during this period is that you have a situation of machine that's accurate and same or next day? Because that seems to be the solution. It's exactly right, Jim. And, you know, you're always one that really understands it. And that has been the dilemma, right? We, everybody started to know the term PCR, which is great molecular testing, but the results have tended to be days to get the results back because the labs, the transportation, everything else. So it's the fight. People have then defaulted more towards some of the rapid antigens, but they're just simply not as sensitive or specific. And so along has come whole logic right into the middle, just as we've done in all of our other categories, with our Panther system, which as you said, is the most broadly available high throughput system and the most accurate test using our TMA technology, which is an alternative to PCR that's incredibly quick, but the most accurate out there. So what we have is it's put us in a perfect position. We have over 1300 Panthers installed in the United States. You know, you could go 10 or 15 minutes from the CNBC studio and probably run into 30 or 40 Panthers in various hospitals and the labs. So what that's allowing us to do is to get the sample to the to the, the machine very quickly on Panther. It can turn it around in three hours. So in most cases, we're really able to give you that result back in the same day. And the other really important part, which you know, is we have the labeling for asymptomatic. Because our test is so accurate, we're able to pick up asymptomatic people. And that's been a huge issue in this pandemic is we can screen those people. And again, the rapid antigens can't detect those. All right. So, Steve, I'm sure people are saying, well, that's great. But how many how many tests, total tests can you produce per quarter? Because it seems like that you don't have enough machines to do the job. We've been cranking incredibly that day. We produced over 30 million tests last quarter. For perspective, going into the first quarter of last year, the most tests we had produced on all of our products, all of our sexually transmitted, the entire molecular platform globally was about 21 million tests. Last quarter alone, because of incredible expansions and frankly, the incredible hard work of our teams, we delivered over 30 million just COVID tests. 
And we're continuing to ramp that, both with some help from the U.S. government, as well as our own teams and the investments we're making, such that we can continue to ramp that capacity, because that is the biggest thing. The best thing we can do is, you know, ultimately, if we could provide for the whole market and we're, we're trying to get there. Well, I don't want to pigeonhole you. I mean, look, this is unbelievable what you've done through the pandemic, but what you've done with women's health is amazing. We can talk about uh, sustainability in a moment. But you're pretty convinced that post-pandemic, we could have an even stronger whole logic. Some people might say, well, you know, that's that it's impossible given what he just said. But you do have a lot of stuff in the pipeline and other things that also are going to do better when the pandemic ends. Correct. Correct. I think, you know, the, the simplest way to think about it is, you know, the way we talk about it as a management team, you know, let's say our business overall over a five year pattern was going to you know, grow like this. We've clearly gotten a big bump up from our COVID testing, but the, the both the size of the business on the other side and the trajectory is going to be a lot stronger for the following reasons. One, let's take our Panthers. We have placed just in the United States alone, we were placed about 100 Panthers in the year 2019 in the United States. Last year, we placed 372 Panthers. So as we come out of the pandemic, we're that much more established and we'll run our regular tests in all of those additional locations. We're also making additional investments. We've heavied up our R&D spending so that we're basically cranking out more products for the other end across all of our businesses. And we're making some tuck-in acquisitions. We've, you know, in the last uh, really 90, 120 days, we made a small tuck-in acquisition for our surgical business. We did one for our breast health business. And we announced one earlier this month for, or last month for our diagnostics business so that those will also be stronger on the other side. So it's both organically will be stronger and inorganically stronger. Oh, oh, one one last question. We've had an remarkable number from Google Cloud that came out today. And people are saying, well, where's that business coming from? Well, one of them would be something that you're doing, which I think is pretty revolutionary with the Google Cloud pack that you just announced for next generation. Yes, you know, we've been the world leaders, obviously, in 3D mammography, which you've covered and we've talked about in other ways. So, you know, another huge part of our business is the breast cancer detection business. And a big part of what we've been doing there over time is adding more and more, you know, what we call machine learning or artificial intelligence to help the radiologists read the, you know, read the patterns and be able to detect even, you know, cancer earlier and earlier. We're now bringing the same, a similar kind of technology, basically, again, the artificial intelligence to the cervical cancer screening test, which is your traditional pap test. And we've actually partnered with Google Cloud on that to really turbocharge our efforts in that area so that we're bringing not only the machinery, but increasingly so much of our business is increasingly a software game as well as we're trying to help, you know, basically find cancers earlier and earlier. It's the same in everything we do. The earlier you can detect a cancer, a sexually transmitted infection, anything, you know, as you know, you can then it's much easier to treat. And, you know, it's the same with COVID, right? If we can find the right people very quickly before they spread it and everything else, a lot easier to treat than once they're, they're very far down the road. That's our entire business and, and our logo, the science of sure. So that's where we're, we're incredibly well, Steve, focused on. You- 
Every you, you've just delivered. You delivered and delivered. And uh, uh, after to, uh, after the close of the market, by the way, uh, Steve put out purpose, passion, and promise, which is uh, your unique difference maker at Hologic. You do care passionately about what you do beyond just the bottom line. But wow, you're saving a lot of lives. I want to thank you so much, Steve McMillan, Hologic Chairman and CEO. Another fabulous quarter. Many more to come. Always good to see you. Thanks for coming on Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Take care. All right, back after the break. In a selfie society, this cosmetics maker has the Zoom generation brushing up on the latest beauty hacks. Can its stock continue to deliver picture-perfect gains? Or is it time for investors to gloss over it? Kramer digs into the business of beauty just ahead. make of Elf Beauty, the digital-focused, value-oriented, cruelty-free cosmetics company that just reported after the close today. Now, here's a stock that collapsed when COVID first hit, only to make an incredible comeback because, well, guess what? You really need to look good on Zoom. And these guys had the infrastructure in place to double down on e-commerce. But tonight, Elf delivered a, what I regard, frankly, as a confusing quarter. While their sales came in higher than expected, the earnings did miss thanks to some rising costs, especially selling general and administrative expenses. But at the same time, though, management actually raised their forecast for the current quarter. And that, that's not even getting into the boost they'll finally get when the pandemic ends. Still, we got to think deeper because, you know, I've liked this stock for a long time. So let's ch- check in with Tari Amin. And Tari's going to tell us what's really going on. He's the chairman and CEO of Elf Beauty. Get a better read on the quarter and where his company is headed. Mr. Amin, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you for having me. Good to be back on. All right, so Tanya, I've got to understand this because sometimes these things are uh, a little bit too nitty gritty, but I know that people own the stock and they want to make money, not lose. You raised your full year guidance and, uh, and did it pretty convincingly. But at the same time, your gross margins did not go up. They went down. And I'm trying to figure out what's happening underneath to make it so you're confident about the future, even as this quarter may have been a little tougher than I expected. Well, first of all, we're really pleased with the quarter. We delivered 10% net sales growth in a category that's down 20%. So I'm really proud of the team and our ability to continue to execute. And part of how we've delivered that sales growth is we continue to invest in the business for the long term. So our marketing plus digital investment this quarter was 15% of net sales, up from 12% last year. And we're feeling great about those investments in the business. And you can see it in us picking up market share. But uh, let's talk about market share. Uh, last time we spoke, Target's a really important company for you. But, but then uh, we had Ulta on. And Ulta, they've made a pretty good deal with Target. Now, you're in Ulta. It's an important, uh, important venue for you. But is that causing any friction? Uh, is the price cutting at Target for, uh, for Elf? No, it's actually a great opportunity for us. As you mentioned, we have real strength at Target. Uh, they're our longest standing national retailer. In fact, in the quarter, we uh, overtook L'Oreal for the number two position in all of Target's color cosmetics. And so we have great momentum there. We also have great momentum at Ulta Beauty. Uh, they continue to expand the brand, giving us more space, rewarding us. They're going to be our launch partner for Key Soul Care, our new brand. And so we see both of them working together as a great thing for Elf Beauty. It gives us a lot of opportunity and two customers we've done extremely well with. And you continue to do well in Walmart, I, I understand. 
We do. We have an incredible mint melt collection that we're collaborating with them on right now. And we have just a great business really in every one of our national retail partners. We're the most productive brand that Target or Walmart will carry. And we have great momentum. So let's talk about what I regard as being your amazing, amazing social media presence, whether it be TikTok, whether it be uh, a holiday, a holiday uh, different things that you've done that are always great. And of course, uh, with Alicia Keys, who is one of my favorite. I had the great pleasure of meeting her several times. Uh, how are these going? They were uh, some of these things, particularly Alicia Keys, uh, the Keys Soul Care brand you introduced basically on our show. Are they starting to take off? You know, we're really pleased with our Key Soul Care brand. It's, we're doing something that hasn't been done in beauty before, a true lifestyle beauty brand with the wonderful Alicia Keys. And so far, the launch is off to an incredible start. We have it on keysoulcare.com and Ulta Beauty uh, on Ulta.com. And the response has been terrific. And we're about to expand distribution even further. Now, when I look at your company, I always try to figure out where a company is in relation to the pandemic. A lot of people felt, well, if you're not going out, you don't need makeup. That, you proved that wrong. People wear makeup, they're on Zoom. What is the impact? Let's say we finally get vaccinated. Do you think that there'll be a, uh, a resurgence of a new look as people go out rather than just be on Zoom? Well, you know, I absolutely believe the category is going to do much better as we get to normalcy, as we get more vaccine out and people can get out. I think there's a pent up demand for people to express themselves. I'm proud of how we've done during the pandemic. I mean, we were strong going into the pandemic. We've executed extremely well during and with our new brand portfolio with not only Elf Beauty, uh, Elf Cosmetics, but also Key Soul Care and our clean beauty brand, Well People. We even have a better portfolio to continue that strength and momentum coming back out. But I'm absolutely bullish on the category going forward. You, you always have something new. Uh, loser fruit endorsement deal. Uh, what will that mean? The, when I see someone who's a top female gamer, I say to myself, once again, uh, Mr. Mean is in touch with who is a trendsetter. Well, I give our team a lot of credit. I mean, just like we broke new ground when we did our TikTok challenges that are up to 10 billion views, almost 7 million videos. We're the first brand really to partner on Twitch uh, with Loserfru, who also goes by Lufu. She's the second highest female uh, gamer in terms of her following. And we're really doing something that's quite um, novel in terms of really coming together. She's being able to give tips to her community, both female as well as uh, male, in terms of uh, Elf Cosmetics and what that means and what we're able to do together. So I'm really excited about that, as well as all the other new ground that we're, we're, we're plowing. And then I, I can't uh, finish the interview without talking about how much you care, cruelty to animals, how much you care about sustainable, now 650,000 pounds of packaging eliminated. How are you in your quest to make it so that you are a better actor in society? Well, I think, first of all, we always follow what our consumers are interested in. And our core consumer set is Gen Z millennials. And they care about these issues. They care about their products being clean. They care about the ingredients that are in, it, in their products. They care about sustainability. So our initiative with Project Unicorn, where we've eliminated 650,000 pounds of packaging materials, I think it's just the beginning of the journey of things that we've always had great superpowers in, in terms of being cruelty-free and vegan. And you'll continue to see us follow what's important to our consumers. Well, I always like to end like that because that's why uh, my kids wear your makeup because that's what really matters to them. Uh, I want to thank Tarang Amin, another great quarter of Good Beat and Raise, Chairman and CEO of Elf Beauty. Great to see you, sir. Great to see you as well. Thank you. 
Mayor Bunny's back after the break. Coming up, their quarter brought the fireworks. But in a volatile market, can this chip maker take your portfolio sky high? Kramer sits down with Skyworks Solutions when Mad Money returns. In a remarkably strong earnings season, some of the best numbers we've seen, so far at least, have come from Kramer fave Skyworks Solutions, SWKS, the radio frequency chip maker that's got a ton of exposure to both 5G wireless networks and, of course, the Internet of Things. Last Thursday, Skyworks reported truly blowout numbers. I said it's the best. Uh, we're talking about 69% sales growth, much better than expected. $3.36 per share of earnings. Wall Street was only looking for $2.09. How is that possible? On top of that, management gave you terrific forecasts, also rolled out a $2 billion buyback program when a lot of companies are cutting back their buybacks. Since then, the stock has surged deservingly 12%. And given everything we've heard about the chip shortages lately, I don't know. Maybe this is just the beginning. Do not take it from me, though. Let's check in with Liam Griffin. He's the president and CEO of Skyworks Solutions. Hear more about the quarter and what he sees going forward. Mr. Griffin, welcome back to Mad Money. Oh, great to be back with you, Jim. Really appreciate the intro. Liam, I think it's important to point out that this kind of quarter is not something that just came together in six months. You've been spending for years because you saw the vision. You saw that the vision would be 5G, but you saw autonomous driving. You, you saw the idea that we're going to be talking about all sorts of new different controls, Internet of Things. So talk about the mission of getting to where you are to make it so you had that explosion and how it's not just something that just turns on a dime. It could be long lasting. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what's great, Jim? You and I talked about the digital traffic jam, I think 2017, 2018. And I talked about where we could go in this industry, moving from 4G to 5G. But 5G hadn't yet happened. The good news now is 5G has arrived. And that's what you're seeing in the numbers today. And when you look at a 5G device, you know, this is a technology. It's not a product. It's a transformative technology. And what happened for us here in Q1 is really transformational. We had a tremendous unit launch with 5G phones, but then within those phones, the complexity was so, so much higher than you've ever seen before. A new spectrum, a new band count created a unique opportunity. So you had units, you had complexity, and you had a technology bar that's never been higher. Those are the things that we want at Skyworks, and we want to deliver those solutions to the best and brightest customers out there. Liam, I know this is a high-quality problem, but throughout, I deal with a lot of the auto companies, a lot of different companies, and they tell me, look, the one thing we don't have, we do not have enough chips. Does Liam Griffin's company, Skyworks Solutions, have enough chips to meet the incredible demand that we're seeing right now? Absolutely. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because our operations, our operations team did a fabulous job delivering that $1.5 billion in a 90-day quarter. Uh, and the other thing that's important, Jim, and I know that you get this, we talked about it. We are a company that, that delivers technology internally. We craft and configure our own devices and our own fabs, leveraging high-performance temperature-compensated filters, bulk acoustic wave, custom-configured gallium arsenide, and miniature packaging. So we're able to bring that home within our own sites. And really, for the most part, we've been able to mitigate some of the chip shortages that we're seeing globally. Oh, that's good, because a lot of the companies I'm talking about are saying they can't make it. I want to be sure that it's not Skyworks. It's the bottleneck. It's clearly not. Now, uh, Liam, there is a there's this view on Wall Street that when anyone says it's early, 
uh, it's usually late. And, and the skeptics just crush me. You and I have known each other for a long time. You are continuing to say, listen, 5G is at its infancy. Give me some milestones that will tell me why it's at its infancy and versus where it can go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it certainly is at its infancy, and we've waited a long time, and we've made a tremendous amount of investments in capital and people in R&D to be positioned to, to execute, and we're doing that. But the good news is, even in this great period of time with a great launch of 5G, we've only moved about 220 million units of 5G phones. If you look out by 2026, data from Ericsson shows that that number could be at least 3.5 billion. So you've got a tremendous tail here and a tremendous lift that we have as we go forward, a secular thematic move into 5G, and it will be a multi, multi-year cycle. Now, I know I mean, you have a large customer, but knows I'm not, not going to go there because they don't like to talk about it, but you're a favorite of theirs. But what I was impressed about is the breadth of China. It looks like, Liam, that the Chinese companies, political, not political, doesn't matter. They are lining up to buy your chips. Yeah, that's true, Jim. And this technology, as you know, is vital. Think about what happened in this pandemic. Essential connectivity, store-to-door delivery, all of these themes that we talked about in the earnings call are real. In markets like China, it's very important. The smartphone in China is a vital, vital product. It's their streaming video. It's the way to educate. It's the way to communicate. And we were fortunate to see a nice uplift there. Companies like Xiaomi, Oppo, Vivo, and others. So in addition to some of the flagships here in the U.S., we did very, very well in the emerging markets in an APAC. Uh, last question. There are uh, companies like AMD. You know, we like them. They're buying Xilinx, NVIDIA. We think they're terrific. Uh, NVIDIA is trying to buy ARM. Does, does, does Liam Griffin need to do something like that? Or do you have so much business that we shouldn't even be thinking that that's Skyworks' next move? Yeah, you know, I'd say it's funny. Uh, certainly, we have the powder and the balance sheet and the free cash flow generation to do acquisitions. And we're always on the lookout for the right thing. But we love our organic business, Jim. We really love it. And the opportunity today is just still in its infancy. And I'm really pleased to see the work of our team stepping up through COVID, our operationals team, our R&D, our sales folks really executing. So we're pumped up about the business that we're in right now. But we're, we're in a position to do more as we look out. Well, look, I totally, I've been a believer. I've been a believer since your predecessor came home when the stock was at five. It's been one of our biggest wins. You are doing a great job. Liam Griffin, President and CEO of Skyworks Solutions. Always fabulous to see you, sir. Thank you for coming on Mad Money. Uh, thanks so much, Jim. Appreciate it, my friend. Absolutely. Back in the break. Coming up. It is time. Kramer takes your calls. Rapid fire. The lightning round is next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Okay, so that's where you told us what rock for for when we say say the stock said bye bye bye. So you know you know the plan is I mean you know you know. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? So the lightning round. Okay, so I'm gonna start with Ken in Florida. Ken. Hello there, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you there, sir? I'm good. Second time caller and long time. You were back going back to the Cudlow and Kramer days. Uh, and, Holy cow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you made yeah, me a well, lot of money. What do we got cooking? So, so, much, Thank so you. much money that uh, that my friend uh, Daryl has renamed Mad Money to Fundin' a Anyway, I'm calling you about I a like Chinese uh, stock. 
Chinese stock. Uh, my main holding is Alibaba, but it's not that. Uh, but when Alibaba pulled back after its uh, uh, plans for uh, ANT uh, IPO fell through, I did two things. I added to my position there, Alibaba. Alibaba. Okay. But then when the government restricted ANT's activities, I researched other fintech companies. And uh, about a month ago, I bought Putu, and it's tripled since then. Should I sell? Putu's very hot. Putu's very, look, this is a great spec. You know, I am an Alibaba fan ever since David Faber found Jack Ma in his house. But Putu is a very, very good spec in China. And I don't recommend many specs in China, but I'm with you. And I thank you for watching me for all these years. Let's go to Jesse in California. Jesse. What it do, Jimmy Choo? Yo, my Jimmy Choo, I got toe cleavage too. What's happening? <laughs> hey, so um, my buddy, uh, we'll just call him Mike Pancake. Um, he's okay. been a big cheerleader of this stock for oh, the longest time, and he's been on the sidelines trying to hoorah me into it. And I finally jumped on board a couple months ago. And, you know, for a while it's been looking like it's been treated like uh, PayPal's little stepbrother. But um, the stock I'm talking mm-hmm. about is eBay. Well, uh, Mikey Pancakes has hit it out of the park, my friend, because ka-ching, ka-ching, great quarter tonight. First of many, and I'm going to say, guy's got horse sense. All right, let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Jim, first off, a big shout-out to your production staff. So helpful. Uh, Got a question for you in the energy sector. Uh, Recently, Keystone got shut down. And five, six, seven months ago, Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett were out on the East Coast buying up pipelines. So my question is two-part. Is the dividend at MMP safe? And is Magellan Midstream Partners a good long-term investment? Thank you. Magellan Midstream run by Mike Mears. He is the best. It's an oil pipeline. All that said, I'll tell you, I don't recommend any pipeline stocks. I put a gun in my head, I'll say, oh, God, maybe KMI. But the reason why, this group has had it. It's a mass limited partnership group, and nobody wants them anymore. They don't even want the C corporations. So I'm not going to recommend any of them. Life is too short. I am going to take one more, though. I'm going to go to Charlie in New York. Charlie. Hey, Jim. How are you? I hope you're feeling better from your surgery. Oh, thank you, buddy. Um, I'm getting there. I mean, the walking around with the cane thing. But, you know, you got to do what you have to do. The PT starts next week. Thank you for asking. Um, I, I wish you well. Um, I'm concerned about Verizon. Um, the last quarter didn't look uh, bad. In fact, when it went down, I bought some more, figuring it'll bounce back in a day or two, but it hasn't. And what should I do? I think that's fine. Remember, Verizon. interest rates taking up a little bit is going to drive Verizon down. I, I think Verizon's fine. I've never uh, gotten hurt recommending Verizon to people. I do like T-Mobile more. I put together that group, uh, and uh, T-Mobile is doing better, but I think Verizon's fine, and I do like yield. And that! Ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up on the Gridiron Sunday, only one team can land on top. But in the stock market, which companies have a deep enough bench to take your portfolio past the goal line? Kramer takes the handoff when Mad Money returns. We all know there can only be one winner this Sunday. Somebody has to lose. It may be Tom Brady. 
the, never associate that with the boo, right? The greatest of all time, maybe it's Patrick Mahomes, the most electric player in the business right now. It, it, the big game is truly zero sum. Sell, sell, buy, buy, buy. But what about the stock business? We often think it's the same way, don't we? We make it a contest. As a former sports writer, I can tell you it's a lot more fun that way. People love competition, and they want to bet on a winner. There's just one problem. The stock market has lots of winners. I love football, but not everything's a football game. I bring this up because Amazon and Alphabet both reported last night, and it's already being framed as Amazon versus Alphabet, with Amazon uh, stalling out on the news that Jeff Bezos is stepping down or stepping up, depending how you want to put it, and Alphabet roaring on the strength of Google Cloud, even though it's not even making any money, although you know I love the business. It's easy to cover this as Amazon versus Alphabet, and Alphabet wins. But it would also be wrong. They both delivered incredible results, and I think the real winners here are you, the shareholders, because the companies are just that good. In fact, I'd say they're darn right unbeatable. Why? Okay, look, I can go deep into the weeds, but you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather approach these two from another angle. I want to explain what it's like to compete against an Amazon or an Alphabet. When I worked at Goldman Sachs in the 80s, we bent over backwards to recruit the best and the brightest, and that's what really gave us the edge. And we almost always got whoever we wanted. 35 years later, when I think about an investment bank recruiting at a major business school, I can't imagine who bothered to come to the cocktail hour. I bet half the people in the room would be thinking of ways to disrupt the model. The other half will be thinking about getting hired by a startup. Uh, some might be there for the cocktails and jumbo shrimp. Honestly, the most talented kids don't even go to business school anymore it's like, like they did in the 80s. Uh, they want to learn, and they want to learn at the universities of Facebook and Alphabet and uh, the, the schools of Amazon, of Microsoft, of Apple. These universities pay them well with incredible benefits, and they offer a sense of purpose beyond making money. So when it comes to recruiting, you can't compete against big tech unless you're, you've got something ready with some disruptive algorithm, meaning you have to become a tech company yourself. Of course, even these places have their limitations. Jeff Bezos may be the richest man in the world, but he can't stay on as emperor for life, uh, if only because Amazon needs to retain Andy Jassy, the firebrand who helped the greatest retailer in the world transition to the number one cloud infrastructure play. If you're Google, and all you ever hear about is search, 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 why not fund a huge cloud initiative and bring in Thomas Curry, the best pure cloud manager available in this world, and just give them the ball. Remember, Silicon Valley has no salary cap. Why not take YouTube and use it to crush regular TV? Alphabet's clearly been asking itself these questions because that's exactly what they're now doing. That's why the stock's up so big. As for Apple, juggernaut. They keep making the most popular devices on earth. Customer satisfaction is their business. And people are willing to pay up for it, including, for, by the way, for years of subscription services after they buy the phone. Microsoft, what a stock today. A few years ago, CEO Sadi Nadella told me that he could turn Azure, his cloud business, into something with $18 billion in annual sales. Hey, hey, Nadella's a serious guy, so I didn't laugh. But I was skeptical. He was going up against Andy Jassy at Amazon Web Services. How could he possibly do it? Well, you know what? After that last quarter, the answer is incredibly well. Forget $18 billion a year. I mean, he's going to do $18 billion a quarter. When it comes to cloud infrastructure, there are now three incredible winners, and they all deserve their own Lombardi trophies. Google coming in third, but I want to bet against them in a couple of years. Even the much maligned Facebook realized that there could be more to its business than advertising. Facebook embraced the small, medium-sized business person uh, better than almost everybody and used their platform to connect to customers and, and made them partners and not 
fodder. All of these tech titans can recruit anyone they want. They have amazing coaching trees. They have products and services people believe in, with corporate cultures people actually want to be a part of. These days, when I talk to my friends who used to run Wall Street, I ask where their kids work. For, I'm sure for a couple, it's private equity. Uh, for others, maybe a startup. But the best? They're going to big tech. As long as that pipeline's intact, you want to stick with Amazon, Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft, and Facebook, despite the siren song of SPACs or the Scylla and Charybdis of GameStop and AMC Entertainment. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.